Uh, we are continuing this series uh, through the book of Exodus. And as you turn there, um, I will uh, simply remind you, well, I'm going to read uh, just verses the end of chapter 12, um, even though we're going to um, cover a little bit of, of the first um, 15 or so verses of chapter 13. But I'm really, we're going to focus mostly on the Passover uh, at the end of chapter 12. So Exodus chapter 12, beginning in verse 43. Uh, let me ask that you stand as we read God's word. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is a statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it, but every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house, and you shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover of the Lord, let all the males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Would you pray with me? Uh, we pray, O Holy Spirit, as we open your word, would you use it to teach us, to um, instruct us, but more than that, uh, to grow us in our love for Christ and to conform us more and more into his image. We ask this in his holy name. Amen. You may be seated. So if you've, uh, if you've missed the last... A um, couple of Sundays, you, you know, we're kind of working through uh, the book of Exodus. Uh, a couple of Sundays ago, we, we, we took the first nine plagues in one sermon. Uh, last week, we actually looked at um, chapters 11 and 12 already and the Passover and, and freeing the Israelites from Egypt. But I wanted to go back again uh, and look mainly at just this Passover feast. And let me also just say, too, from the, on the, from the outset, uh, lest anyone notice this kind of thing, uh, I've stolen the outline again. This is a couple of weeks in a row. I've literally just ripped off an outline. Uh, I've stolen it from Phil Riken this time. Somebody else last week. Um, but I've, I've stolen it from Phil Riken this time. It made sense to my brain. So here we are. Um, you know, there are a number of ways the, the Bible flies in the face of Western culture. I mean, I mean, there's, there's the obvious sort of, you know, you are all that you need to be. Uh, you have everything you need just inside of you. And, and all you have to do is dig a little deeper and, and you'll find you're, you're, you're fine just the way you are. And, and, and you just need to dig a little deeper and, and everything you need, you already have. Um, that's the world we live in. The Bible, on the other hand, says uh, you, you are not okay. Uh, you are not complete in and of yourself. And not only can you not find what you need inside of you, you have to look to someone else uh, instead. 
that's not very Western of us. But not only that, but there's also the notion of our individualism. We think about me. We care about me. We, we focus on me. We're an, an individualistic society. You do you and you pick yourself up by your own bootstrap, bootstraps and everything will be just fine. You decide for you and you don't need anybody else to tell you who you ought to be or what you ought to be or how to be you. You just do you. But the Bible is corporate. The Bible is group. The Bible is congregational. The Bible, yes, we're called to Christ, but there is no Lone Ranger Christianity. Uh, we're called to Christ, but we're not called to Christ and then left on an island, just me and Jesus. We're called to Christ and then called to a body with brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers and sons and daughters in the household of God. The Bible tells us, contrary to Western culture, you actually need other people. Uh, you're built for that. You're wired for that. And we see that clearly even in this passage. We see this, this need for other people, this congregational group gathered dynamic in the celebration of the Passover. Uh, this passage takes yet another look at the Passover, this time looking mostly to the future when uh, Israel will be in the promised land and how they should celebrate in that day, in the years to come. But this meal foreshadows the meal we'll, we will celebrate together in just a few minutes. Uh, the meal set in front of you on this table, uh, the Lord's Supper, this, this meal really sets for us a pattern and similar instructions for the Lord's Supper. First, I want you to notice the Passover is a meal to be eaten. And I do not say that to um, insult your intelligence. Uh, at some level, we all know a meal is to be eaten. Uh, you, you've seen Chopped, right? You've watched the great British baking show. Is that what it's called? Presentation matters. Right. You can you can cook a meal and serve a meal and it can be fine. But if it's ugly, you will you will get chopped. You, you won't move on to the next round. We also live in a culture that snaps a photo and of our meal and posts a picture of it to Instagram before we eat it. But notice the adverb. We take a picture and post it to Instagram before we eat it. I think that's an adverb. Is that an adverb? Not instead of eating it. A meal. Yes, we may post a picture. We may show the world, hey, look at this great meal I'm about to eat. But we're going to eat it. Food is made for the body and not for the camera. And, and, and the reason I make a big deal about this, again, I try and I promise I really don't want to insult your intelligence. But five times in seven verses, this passage uses the verb to eat. That seems like a lot to me. Describing, I don't know, a meal. 
If it's a meal, it is by definition supposed to be eaten. And you just look through. Look at verse 43. No foreigner shall eat of it. Um, Verse 44. Slave bought with your money may eat of it. Verse 45. No foreigner or hired worker again may eat of it. Verse 46, it shall be eaten in one house over and over again, five times in seven verses. And then you get it a few more times in verses three to ten of of chapter 13. Moses seems to be pointing us to the importance of eating this meal. Why else would that word show up five times in such a short span? And so these are instructions about how to eat and when to eat and with whom to eat this meal. But why? Why is this a meal to be eaten? Why are there instructions like verse 46, don't take any of the flesh outside the house? Why are there instructions like verse 46, don't break any of the bones of this lamb? The passage doesn't tell us. In fact, so far, nowhere in Exodus 12, 11 and 12, have we heard anything about, well, and here's why you don't break the bones, except we did just read John 19, didn't we? And the two thieves on the cross were, their legs were broken to speed up the dying process so they could get them down and not leave them up on the cross for the Sabbath. Jesus' legs, they didn't break. And and we're told there in, in John 19, which we just read, that fulfills God's word that his bones won't be broken. In other words, when you read John 19 and, and Christ's legs, his bones aren't broken, you're being reminded this is our Passover lamb hanging on this cross. Our Passover lamb has just died for us. There's another reason why I think there's a meal involved, and it's this. Meals are inherently celebratory. When you, when you fix a big spread and it just looks good and delicious and, and there's great drink and food and all this on this great table, you know there's a celebration. You know there's something, there's some reason to gather and celebrate. We used to do this, well, I say we used to do this all the time. I had this memory um, of being probably between 8 and 12. Um, And in my head, we did this all the time. We maybe did it once, for all I know. But in my family, there are a whole bunch of May birthdays. And so we, and Mother's Day. And so we would Pick a day in May when I was younger and and literally I, I had in my head all these family members. I, I, I have no idea who they are. I don't know that I've ever seen them again. Except at this event. But there was the grill was going. Everybody bought, brought food. You know, how many plates of, of deviled eggs do you think we had? Meals celebrate things. We were celebrating family birthdays and all the mothers in the family. This is a a meal that celebrates. It celebrates 
Israel's deliverance from Egypt. It celebrates the fact that they are no longer slaves in this foreign land. It looks back to an event that God has accomplished on their behalf, in their place, and set them free from slavery, from bondage. And so this meal is a celebration, rejoicing in that deliverance. There's a, another reason why I think a meal matters. Um, you know I have a big green egg. You know I'm pretty proud of my big green egg. Um, I talk about it as much as I can. Uh, Anytime I come in from outside grilling, cooking, smoking, whatever I'm doing on my big green egg, I walk in and everyone in the house goes, ooh, that smells good. And I'm not even carrying food. Literally last week, two weeks ago, was grilling something and this family, neighbors down the street, walking by with their dogs and they said, you know, all it takes is an invitation. Smells delicious. There was no food on the, on the egg yet, on the grill yet. I had just gotten, it smells that good, just the lump charcoal going. Here's the thing. Meals involve every single one of your senses. Sight, taste, touch, smell. All the senses that preaching doesn't involve. Sometimes even hearing. I've eaten with some of you. But you can see the the fact that every single one of our senses is involved in meals. And so our sense of sight and taste and smell and touch, they're all getting the same message that our ears get. They're all being communicated. They're all being told the same thing that our ears get. This lamb died for you. This lamb is your means of deliverance from slavery, from bondage. Meals confirm for us physically and sensibly. We use the word sensible to mean it's logical and reasonable. And, it, and okay, I, that's sensible enough. Like that's not wild and crazy. That's not insane. That's not teenager, you know, whatever. But the way... For example, our, our catechism uses sensible. It means it speaks to all the senses. It's a, it's a way for us to apprehend by our taste and touch and smell and sight what our ears apprehend when we hear God's word proclaimed. For that matter, look at chapter 13, verse 9. Uh, It shall be to you as a sign on your hand. And this is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is so closely connected with the Passover. It shall be as a sign on your hand and as as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. Okay, that's a simile. Did you notice the as, right? A comparison that uses like or as. That's simile, right? Um, I have to ask because every now and then I just need to make sure I'm actually right. Um, It doesn't mean that the Feast of Unleavened Bread is supposed to be like literally tattooed on your hands. It doesn't mean that you literally take a box and, and, and tie a rubber band to it and put it right here between your eyes and you put the law of the Lord in that box so that it's always right there in front of your eyes. 
That, that's, that's what that language means. That's the reference that this language is using. It means that these meals tell our senses. They tell our eyes and our, our nose and our fingers exactly what our ears have heard. That you are set free by God's grace and because of the death of this Lamb. This is all true of the Lord's Supper, isn't it? We're commanded to come to, to this table and to take and to eat and to, to feast on Christ and to be reminded in our fingers and our nose and our taste buds what our ears have already heard that we're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. We're reminded and, and we celebrate this deliverance that Christ has gained for us. The Westminster Shorter Catechism uh, tells us, uh, we're going to use um, other questions from the catechism in just a little bit, that a sacrament is a holy ordinance instituted by Christ, wherein by sensible signs, there's that word sensible, Christ and the benefits of the new covenant are represented, sealed, and applied to believers. The Lord's Supper communicates to all of our senses what our ears have already heard. There's another reason why a meal is an appropriate, a right, a, a, a fitting application of, of this celebration. And it's this. When you consume that lamb, you're participating in its death. When you consume that lamb, you are participating in in its suffering. Not only are you saying this lamb died for me, but you're also saying I killed this lamb. I'm the reason this lamb had to die. When we take this meal together, we're saying, yes, Christ died for me. But we're also saying, yes, Christ died for me because I needed a lamb. I needed someone, something in my place who could Obey fully and completely that which I cannot. Even in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul writes, um, he urges us to flee idolatry. And the very next sentence is this. And he says, is the cup that we bless not a participation in the blood of Christ? And is the bread that we break not a participation in the body of Christ? Why do we flee idolatry? Why do we flee worshiping other gods? Because we've been united to Christ. And so we feast on Christ, participating in his body and his blood. The Passover is a meal to be eaten. Second, the Passover is a meal to be shared. Notice the language. Um, verse 47, for example, all the congregation of Israel shall keep it. This is a meal that was commanded. It's a celebration that was commanded for all of Israel. Not some of them, not a few of them, not this household or that household, not a, some of them over here. Well, if you're in this zip code in Goshen, but if you're in this zip code in Goshen, you, you're going to do it later. Everybody celebrates this meal together. It's a decidedly corporate event. Nobody does it privately. Nobody decides on their own that they're going to, you know, come home from work and, you know, crack open some Welch's grape juice and find some, you know, oyster crackers in the pantry. And, and I'm going to celebrate the Lord's Supper by myself. 
Okay, people might do that, but we shouldn't do that. It's a, it's a meal for the congregation. It's not a meal for the individual. You see it back in verse 3 of chapter 12. You can reach all the way back. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day, this is what you're going to do. There's this, there's this whole system for how this meal is to be celebrated by every single household. Um, you look back in verse 5. Uh, and if the household uh, is too small for a lamb, then he is the nearest neighbor, taken, gathered together. Your lamb shall be without blemish. This is where we need... So we use the ESV here, the English Standard Version. We really need an SSV. Southern Standard Version. Um, I actually did this in seminary a lot. Would would use y'all to make sure my professor knew I knew this is plural. Almost all of the you and your in chapter twelve are plural. They're not singular. It's not speaking to you and to you. It's speaking to y'all, and y'all are a y'all because of this lamb. It's a meal to be shared. Of course, it's, a, a, it's shared within households. Back in verse 3, you're told to eat, there's a lamb for a household. And so the family is to gather around the table together. Uh, the family kills the lamb, actually keeps the lamb for four or five days in their home. And then the family kills the lamb. And then the family paints the blood on the doorpost. And then the family cooks and eats the lamb together and there's all kinds of instructions on how that's supposed to work but it's not just a family meal it's a community meal there's a there's a there's an interesting command i think back in chapter 12 verse 4 speaking of flying in the face of western american culture notice verse 4 if your household is too small for a lamb so you go outside, you select this lamb, you bring it in, you, you, you kill it, you're, you're cooking this meat, I got, I got food for an army. I got lamb for an army. Our thought process is, I'm going to take some to so-and-so. The solution here isn't to divide the lamb. The solution is to unite households. That's very different. Not, well, you take some of that lamb and, and give it to that neighbor and give some to that neighbor because you've got far more than you need. No, instead, you go get those neighbors and you say, look, you come over here because we're going to do this together under one roof. It's a community gathered corporate meal. But it's also an exclusive meal. Did you notice verses 43 and to 45? Every slave that is, verse 44, every slave, no foreigner, verse 43, no foreigner shall eat of it. Verse 45, no foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. Verse 44, every slave that is bought with, uh, bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. And then again, you get the same thing again down in verse 48. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover, he must be circumcised. Converts are invited to this meal. Foreigners, non-Israelites, they can participate in this meal provided they meet two qualifications. The first is 
the males must be circumcised. And second, they must belong. Notice verses 43 and, and 45. These outsiders, the foreigners, if they're just passing through, they've, they've, they've got a room at the Holiday Inn in downtown Jerusalem, you know, staying out by the airport um, in the Red Roof Inn, uh, and they're, they're, they're here for two nights and then they're flying on. They're just passing through. They're actually not welcomed at the Passover meal. They're not supposed to eat the meal. It's actually an exclusive meal. There are people who are excluded from it. They're just observers. But if someone comes into Israel and, and wants to belong and receives the sign of circumcision, of entrance into the covenant community, then he can participate in this Passover meal. He is saying, I am now one of you. I belong to you. And I celebrate this meal with you because your deliverance is my deliverance also. Circumcision is that, that sign of entrance into the, the, the covenant community given back in Genesis uh, 17 to Abraham and to uh, his uh, offspring, his household. And these foreigners have embraced the God of Israel. He's, they've embraced the God of the Hebrews. They've joined with them and, and received that sign and they now belong to the covenant community. Here's what that shows us. Israel has always been open to outsiders. We said this last week. Israel has never been ethnically pure. Israel has never been Slytherin. Where you have to, you know, pure bloods only. Israel's never been that. There have always been outsiders welcomed into the covenant community. In fact, look back at Abraham. Who was his, uh, who was going to get his inheritance? Eliezer of Damascus. A foreigner. Who would receive the sign of circumcision with his whole household. So it shouldn't surprise us when, when Paul tells us in the New Testament that true Israel are those who look to Christ by faith, not simply those who descend from Abraham genealogically. Israel has never been ethnically pure like that. This meal portrays the Lord's Supper, a, a corporate meal uh, that we celebrate together, that celebrates the, the life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Christ in our place. But you'll also hear us say that if you're just passing through, if you haven't received the sign of entrance into the covenant community and, and you don't belong in that sense, then, then you're commanded to let these elements pass you by. Passover is a meal to be eaten. Passover is a meal to be shared. And finally, Passover is a meal to be explained. Uh, sometimes I say this, and I could say this, but I'll say it now. Um, sometimes I remind parents um, that when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, um, you know, we, don't, we don't sing um, during that time. There's music playing, but we, we don't ask you to sing because you, you give you your time sort of to whatever, do business with Christ, if you will. Um, but it's also an opportunity where kids just might start going, hey, dad, hey, mom, what's this? 
don't tell them to be quiet. Answer their questions. That's the point. Because notice what happens even with this passage. Look at verses um, 26 and 27. Uh, chapter 12. Chapter 12, verses uh, 26 and 27. Um, we get, uh, when your children say to you, what do you mean by the service? You shall say, wait and ask me later. It's the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt. It's an opportunity for parents to explain salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, right there in that meal. Because that, that object lesson has, has prodded children to ask a question about the meaning of this meal. Answer their questions. Feel free to answer their questions. We see it again in verse uh, 8 of chapter uh, 13. You shall tell your son on that day it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. You know, in, in, in the Jewish celebration of the Passover, there's actually a whole scripted part where um, sons, children are supposed to ask a question and, and the head of the household is supposed to answer with certain words. I mean, it's, it, there's a script. This is the question you ask. This is the answer you give. This is the question you ask. In other words, it's a catechism. A question and answer way of learning the truth of deliverance by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And what are they learning? Well, they're learning that this meal is about celebrating my deliverance from slavery to sin, from bondage to the old Man, it commemorates God's sovereign work in delivering us. There's instruction to be found in this meal. It's an opportunity for us to teach our children about our freedom from the curse of the law, to point them to the spotless lamb who would live and die in our place and that we might look to him for our salvation. One of the many passages that connects uh, the, uh, the Lord's Supper to Passover. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, Paul writes, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the feast. When we take the Lord's Supper, we celebrate our deliverance from sin. We celebrate our freedom from bondage to the old man, the life and death of Christ, our Passover lamb, in our place. It's a corporate meal that teaches us and the next generation that Christ alone is our way of salvation. May he use this meal set before us this morning to do just that. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have, um, Lord Jesus, given us this meal, uh, commanded a meal for us to, uh, to not just simply commemorate your death, uh, but in many ways to celebrate your death. And that by this meal, you might uh, communicate to us uh, strength, strengthening of our faith, uh, that you might communicate grace to us because you are present in this meal, uh, in, a, in a spiritual, special way. 
And we pray, Lord Jesus, that as we read your word, as we celebrate this feast, that our senses might pick up on the message that our ears hear. That you alone are our Savior. That we look to you in faith and there find one who lived a holy and righteous life in our place, but who suffered and bled and died a death that we deserve to die so that we might live. Father, we pray that, that we would cover the doorposts of our home with the blood of Christ and that you would raise up our children to know and trust in Christ and him alone for their salvation. We pray all of this in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.